It's Thursday, July 23rd. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio and Motley Fool Rule Breakers, Vijeth Muthalagundi, and from Million Dollar Portfolio and Hidden Gems, Abby Mallon. Thanks for being here. Happy Thursday. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, earnings Palooza rolls on. So, of course, we're going to talk Under Armour, we're going to talk McDonald's. McDonald's just gets more interesting to me. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, let's start with Comcast, though. Uh, second quarter profit up 7%. Revenue up 11%. And Vijet, I got to say, for a big company with a lot of revenue streams, it really does seem like Universal Pictures is getting a lot of credit in the media for this quarter. I mean, I know I know a lot of people are going to see Jurassic World. I know a lot of people have seen Furious 7. It seems like they're getting a little too much credit, though. Yeah, I mean, in the last year over year from the second quarter of 2015, the film entertainment segment has increased 92.7%. That's almost a double in that's, the last year. That's great. <laughs> so like so it is basically basically off of Furious 7 and Jurassic World and because of that they're getting huge cash returns on on both movies. And honestly, the next the next phase of that is going to be license, licensing agreements and theme parks. They're going to bring Jurassic World and Furious 7 into Orlando like they've capitalized on Harry Potter recently. Um, and I think. Don't they have the Minions movie too? Yeah, they do have the Minions yeah, movie. Yeah, and that, that stuff. I mean, I've got kids, so believe me, that stuff is everywhere. Just You can't swing a dead cat without seeing something with a minion on it these days. Yeah, and honestly, uh, the other segments that Comcast operates in, cable networks and broadcast television, they haven't been that impressive at all. Cable networks. Uh, the cable network segment decreased about one percent, and the broadcast television segment remained pretty much flat. I think it's I think it's one of those situations where they're a, they're a huge cash machine. They increased free cash flow over thirty percent, um, but they've been delivering strong results for such a long time that I think investors always expect more. Um, and I think it, well, like with Jurassic World being a huge success, top three movie of all time, Furious Seven, top five movie of all time. I just think that there's just not that much more that Comcast can do that can impress people, and as a result, their stock price is down this morning around like two percent. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's a stock that's had a great run, um, but I think if you look at what they're trying to do, they're basically looking at Disney and saying, "Can we do that? Can we not only make more money off of our studio segment, but can we make the type of movies?" That lend themselves to other revenue streams, to consumer products, to toys, games, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that sort of thing. Um, what do you make of this? Uh, and Vijeth, I'll just start with you, but I mean, I'm curious your thoughts as well. What do you make of this test that Comcast is doing in Boston, where they are essentially trying to create an online streaming service that, I guess, in theory, would at, at least initially, competes with their cord business. You know, we, we hear all the time about people cutting the cord, and so now they're trying to test out a new service that doesn't involve a cord. So they very creatively named this. It's called Stream, um, and it's it, it's really the name of the game recently. Like they're trying to they're trying to compete with Netflix. You know, and someone Hulu. got a bonus for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they had some sort of internal competition. It's like, all right, whoever comes up with the name. They get a million dollars. Probably not that. <laughs> well, so so streaming is the really the like the name of the game nowadays. Netflix, a lot of the younger generation are not even subscribing to cable at all. They're using their laptop to stream content from movies, TV shows, w- name you. And 
they're starting this service in Boston. They're, they're piloting it there, but they're planning to expand it nationwide in uh, in 2016. And I mean, it's $15 a month. And honestly, from what I've read, it's sounds like a pretty good deal. Like they have the content network that Netflix doesn't have. They've had Netflix had had decided to go out and like get licenses with other network providers like I don't know whoever makes the TV shows and now Comcast already has that and they having them having the groundwork lends themselves to taking over a lot of Netflix market share if their product catches on and honestly it it seems like a good deal if if it works out right now <laughs> yeah Abby to that point I mean they they don't at least initially because Comcast is also the parent company of NBC Universal so all of the NBC networks, uh, including, by the way, CNBC, um, they've got the content. So, at least initially, it seems like they're in a pretty good place to test this. I would agree. I definitely think it's the future of TV watching. Um, in my house in New Orleans, where I go to school, it was there was 10 of us. And between all of us, we had Netflix, Hulu, HBO Go, um, there's so- Showtime On Demand. So, and we didn't have cable, so um, I definitely think it's the future. And um, Boston seems like a smart way to start because we all know there's a ton of colleges there. So I definitely think it's a good test market for them and a good place to go to continue to grow in the future. And bouncing off of Abby, HBO Go is one of their like offerings there. So so they're setting this price at around fifteen dollars a month, which is the exact same as HBO Now. Um, so they're getting all the benefits. So whoever subscribes to the stream is getting all the benefits of getting HBO at the same price, but also every single benefit that Comcast can provide by getting content from every other source that they have right now. Let's move over to Under Armour. Second quarter profits came in higher than expected. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year. Abby, that's, you know, if you're a shareholder, which I am, by the way, um, <laughs> that that is the one-two punch that you like to see, right? It is. Beat on profit, raising guidance, and it's, I mean, you looked at the quarter. I mean, is is there a weak spot here? Because uh, I checked for a couple minutes and I didn't really see one. I didn't really see a weak spot. Um, actually, every segment that they operate grew, but most notably their uh, digital fitness category grew at 148% over the quarter, which is incredible. So it's still their smallest segment by just revenues, but it's growing the fastest. Yeah, and um, I was reminded by uh, Jason Moser just looking at his Twitter feed this morning that five years ago when Under Armour came out, and announced, hey, we're, we're not just going to make athletic apparel, we're going to do footwear, too. There were more than a few people who just sort of looked at that and, and basically said, you're insane. Like, you're insane to try and compete with Nike. And that grew, what, somewhere to the tune of like 40% this quarter? It did. And, you know, I think that it just proves to the Under Armour brand, people see it as a sports brand. And so, anything involving sports, people are going to trust it if it has the Under Armour label on it. Do you think that, and this is probably a good problem to have, but it kind of seems like almost everything is going right for Under Armour. And I don't mean that in the sense that they're lucky, necessarily. But if you just think, I mean, Kevin Plank, uh, great CEO, um, very driven uh, person from everything I've read about him and heard about him. So, I'm I'm not saying that they've sort of lucked into this in any way, but when you look at things like, okay, we're going to offer an endorsement deal to Steph Curry, and then Steph Curry's basketball team wins the NBA championship. They signed Jordan Spieth to a 10-year deal at the beginning of the year, and he goes on to win the Masters. I mean, I, I sort of feel like this is this is great, and this is great for 2015, but 
they are setting themselves up for some really tough comps next year. I would definitely agree with that. I think the problem that Under Armour is going to face is, is this sustainable? So, in this digital fitness section that we've seen and we're talking about growing so rapidly, they actually acquired two new apps, one in January and one in February. The first is Endomondo, which is a personal training plan. And the second is MyFitnessPal, which is actually the number one nutrition app on iTunes right now. So, I mean, growth by acquisitions, while it works in the short term and it looks really good right now, it's about what they do with it. So, can they grow their um, user base, which is currently at 140 million people over different countries, several countries? So, um, yeah, I think it's about sustainability. So, it looks good in the short term, but now you've set the bar even higher for the future. Where do you go? Yeah, we were talking about this earlier. I, I'm, I'm sort of tempted when I see Under Armour shelling out huge amounts of money for digital fitness apps and, and basically investing in that segment. And Nike basically washing their hands of that segment and, and just saying, you know what, we're, we're not going to do this. I'm sort of tempted to look at that and go, wow, one of them is really going to regret this. And I, I truly don't know which one. And I could be wrong about that, but I don't know. Is, what do you think? Well, so I think Nike kind of did that very, very early on in the st- in in the in the fitness stage process. They had Nike Plus, if you remember, that app was on your phone. You could track how you're doing. That app that I never used exactly. once. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when when this this market really wasn't in the forefront of people's, I guess, thought in fitness, I think I think Nike tried it and failed, and they realized that maybe we should just. Just draw back and not be involved in that for a little while. And Under Armour is taking that and saying, like, we can do what Nike did and then do it better. We can we can take the apps like MyFitnessPal, which already has a huge user base on the App Store for uh, fitness tracking, and we can like connect that to our brand. We can bring Under Armour users in and bring that bring people who are trying to get fit, um, live a healthy lifestyle, and bring them over to this this uh, platform. And as a result, they'll have a lot more connectedness um, as a result. Yeah, I think that's something to consider. And in terms of, we were talking about how are they going to sustain this and where are they going to grow, I think we've seen a huge trend in this new wearable technology phase. So, um, you know, we have Fitbits, you have Jawbones, but there's also new companies. So, you see people like Swarovski actually has something that does the exact same thing. Sony has something. Acer has something. So, you see a lot of companies entering these digital fitness technology areas, and it's just about you know, at some point, it's not about first mover advantage because if Nike decides to enter it, they're going to be good at it. It has a Nike name; everyone's going to trust it. So it's—I don't really think that there is necessarily a regret time. It's just about when it's right for the company. And I think Under Armour being this new sort of up-and-coming player in the market, it made sense to grow here immediately. But I don't think it's necessarily that Nike is going to kick themselves five years down the line for not doing it because if they want to, they could. Who are you saying earlier is in, is, is Ralph Lauren? Of all companies? Yeah, actually, Ralph Lauren, they're not making a bracelet like most of the other competitors. They're actually designing a Polo Tech shirt that has a Bluetooth chip device. So it measures your heart rate and also your movements. And then the Bluetooth device sends um, the information directly back to your smartphone. The device is detachable, so you can wash the shirt. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a new trend in the marketplace. It's definitely something to be considered. And if you see people like Ralph Lauren getting into it, I mean, that opens a whole new bag of worms for who's a competitor. All right, let's move on to McDonald's. Uh, Global same-store sales fell 0.7% in the second quarter. Uh, Steve Easterbrook, the CEO, said that they're going to grow in the third quarter. And I don't know. 
I don't know. If, Jeff, I look at this and I see, certainly here in the United States, where sales have fallen for seven straight quarters. And we talked about this earlier. I like to give new CEOs the benefit of the doubt. I like to give them time to to implement whatever plan they have. But with a company this size, it really does seem like trying to do a U-turn with a battleship. I mean, it just, I don't know. Are they going to turn this around in one quarter? I don't know if they're going to be turning around in one quarter or not. They Steve Easterbrook came out with a plan in May, uh, May or so, for his turnaround plan, and it focused on, um, it really focused on what he's going to sell in the stores, like new sandwiches, and turning that brand around by selling a little bit more like high quality product, as well as um, he was also trying to like tweak a little bit of like an all day breakfast menu as well. So his turnaround plan was a little bit. Petering. I, I, I didn't find it very compelling at all. Um, but what Steve Easterbrook really needs to focus on is getting his franchise owners in line or just like with him because franchise owners are key. If they're not happy, nothing Steve Easterbrook does will work because since the franchise owners will front the cost of any changes that he makes in the overall company uh, plan, if they can't, if the, he can't win them over, he won't be able to make the changes that he's trying to affect across the company. And you're you're right. Global comps are down 0.7 percent. The U.S. is half their over like total total operating income, and U.S. comps are down two percent. So, McDonald really hasn't shown any uh, improvement so far. And I, unless he can win over the franchise owners, I think there is a little bit of a there's a little bit of a push and t- uh, push and pull and push that that's going to happen. And I don't know if he's going to succeed. Yeah, I actually read through that May 4th special call about their restructuring plan and how they're going to turn the company around. And um, while I don't think it's a quick fix, and I do think it's going to take a lot more time than they maybe are projecting, I think there is something good about it. The first is that um, they want to push towards a more franchise business model. So currently about 81% of their stores globally are franchised, and they want to push that to about 90 by the end of 2018. So this will lead to more predictable revenues and less uh, resource intense for them. So hopefully cutting back some costs um, and just in terms of those resources. So when they have company operated staff oversee about six stores annually versus their franchise staff consult see about 30 stores annually. So those costs will decrease significantly. But I don't know if this is necessarily like the main problem for McDonald's. I think, you know, when you think about what they're really good at, they're good at scale. So they have more than 36,000 stores. They have their brand. Everyone knows it. Um, they have the talent, they have the employers, the suppliers, and the capital. The only thing that they're missing is this product, because people are now looking for these healthy options. So even when you look at competitors, uh, Chipotle is up this this quarter, Dunkin' Donuts is up. You know, it's So what is McDonald's not doing that everyone else is doing, and how do they get there, I think, in my opinion. So um, as Vajeth was saying, they are doing an all-day breakfast. They're doing a limited rollout of um, like premium sirloin beef burgers. I mean, is it going to be enough? I don't know, but I think at least they've identified the main problem. I also think that you know, when we talk about Chipotle, one of the things we focus on and it's because they focus on it is just the th- the throughput. How many people can they get through the line in an hour? And that's one of the things that they just relentlessly focus on. And the fact that Chipotle has a simple menu certainly contributes to that. When I look at McDonald's, that uh, that's the thing that I just think, boy, you if you can find a way to just get more people through the line more quickly, 
that alone is going to help. Right. Well, they actually did talk about this. So um, they did mention how they dug themselves into this hole a little bit because they think that they overcomplicated their menu, as Bajath was saying. So um, one way they're trying to combat that is they've they're trying to focus on customization of what's already there. So they are employing a build-your-own-burger kind of um, like smart application or whatever that people will be using in the line. So that eliminates, you know, one thing people like about McDonald's is its consistency and that they're always right. So if you can do it on an app where someone can read it rather than having to remember and type it in, I think it'll be a lot easier and hopefully eliminate some of those problems. One of the things that I just I just wanted to put offhand was McDonald's is trying to do an automated system. They're trying to build a robot to build burgers for whatever you do. Because the way that their production process works is all the food is pre-fried and whatnot when they come into the store, and they just have to heat it up and uh, put it together. And right now they're building a robot so that so that uh, customers can come in and they can order what they want. The only problem is they don't have, like, the robots that they have don't have, like, fingers or whatnot. <laughs> that sounds like a problem. So, so, so they can't really count how much, um, count how much tomatoes that they're going to put on the burger, how many pickles they're putting on the burger. But they can put it all together. They can warm it up. They can make a burger. But they just don't know how much ingredients they're putting in each time. And they're working on that. But if they can do that, they can reduce their labor costs. A lot of their costs go down. But, you know, this is just one of the things that... McDonald's is trying to innovate on. See, this gives me confidence that the inevitable rise of the machines is going to be put off a few years. Because if they can't handle putting a burger together, then I don't know how they're going to, you know, hunt people like me down and just kill us and take over. Because <laughs> let's face it, the rise of the machines is coming. Um, you know, the breakfast thing. I think that's another thing to watch. And you both touched on this because. Uh, they, they've been testing that in a few markets. Uh, there was a report that um, they've sent a, a memo to franchises that in the U.S. they're going to roll this out nationwide in October. We'll see. I mean, that's, that's one thing. That, it's one of those things that uh, you hear analysts talk about a lot. I mean, certainly the last few years saying, boy, they, if they just do this. On the other hand, that, that only works if it works. You know, that's, that, that's right. a great idea. Unless it's just one more way they're complicating the menu and what's happening behind the countertop, and then they've got even it just contributes to the problems. Yeah, I think um, on term, in terms of solving these problems, you know, they did talk about their three prong approach. The first was that they want to create a higher transparency, so they've created this campaign where people, customers, whoever can ask questions about their menu and what's going into it, and I think that'll help with a little bit of brand. Um, Improvement, I guess. They've also said that they're going to stop using, or they're going to use antibiotic-free chickens in the U.S. markets. Which, you know, people, you've seen this trend. Like people love Whole Foods, so you know, if that's if that's what people want, it's smart to give them that. And then also the customization. So hopefully, between the three, they should be able to fix some of these problems. I would think. Uh, before we wrap up, um, gotta say thank you to a couple of people. Uh, I was out of the office for a few days, and I picked a bad few days to be out. Not just because it's earnings season, and I love earnings season, but uh, also we had some listeners stop by. So first, I want to thank uh, Nick and Jane Dunvito, who stopped by earlier in the week uh, and very nicely brought a box of C's candies. So thank you uh, to Nick and Jane for that, uh, and longtime listener Leo Iden. Leo, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, self-identified listener number one thousand nine hundred fifty, uh, who dropped off a nice note and a bottle of wine too. So 
I got candy and I got wine, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, before we do, though, um, you guys have been here at the Motley Fool for the summer. Um, uh, first, thank you for for all the work you've done with our investing team. I know they they speak very highly of of both of you and the work that you've done. I'm curious, and Vijeth, I'll just start with you. What's one thing you know now about investing, about stocks, about business uh, that you didn't know at the beginning of the summer? I think I think for what I've learned from my research and whatnot is for a company to succeed, they need a good product and they need good management. I think with those two factors, you can see companies succeed like tremendously. Howard Schultz and Starbucks with their fantastic streamlined coffee uh, service, Reed Hastings and Netflix. A good product that people want and a good management that will see that product through is what are, are like the two main factors that really make a company succeed. And I think that's one of the main things that I've learned this summer. Um, Really, we focus a lot on culture here at the Motley Fool, and I think, I think management really does play a huge part into how a company succeeds. But also, they need a really good product that people want. Otherwise, you know, people just won't be interested in in what that company has to offer. Abby, what about you? Yeah, I don't know if mine's necessarily um, a concrete what I learned, but it's more of a way of thinking. I would say. Uh, one thing that I found here that I think is really helpful is thinking of stocks as ownership in a company rather than the obscure term equity. Because, um, I mean, I did study finance and economics and I just finished that degree. And, you know, I've learned a lot about data and number crunching and how to forecast and things like that. But I think it's kind of to the Jeff's point as well like, it's not just about numbers. You know, there's so many other qualitative factors that go into it. So something I've definitely learned and I'm still learning how to do is put my qualitative assumptions or feelings about a company into my predictions on values and outcomes. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks Thank for you. having us. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.